I had an extremely enjoyable conversation with a man this past week. We've never met. We never spoke until recently. We talked Major League Baseball then and now. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. So the man that I was speaking about in the introduction uh, that I had the conversation with on the phone last week is a man by the name of Dan Good. He is a New York City journalist. He has written three books, one of which is a baseball book. It was released about a year ago. The title of that book is Playing Through the Pain, Ken Caminiti and the Steroids Confession that Changed Baseball Forever. Now, he didn't call to tell me about that book, and I've not read it, though I'm going to, but he called because he's working on another book about baseball, in particular, about Major League Baseball in the 1990s. And he called because I played Major League Baseball from 1990 through 1996, with the exception of 1991. I was in AAA the entirety of that season. And the conversation was so enjoyable because Dan Good obviously loves the game of baseball. He did his homework, and he asked great questions. Questions that brought to my mind things I haven't considered, really, for a couple of decades. And as we spoke and as the conversation came to a conclusion, we agreed that there are things happening today in the game of baseball that aren't good. They do not make the game a better game. Not better overall, not better for those who manage it, not better for those who take the field and play it, not even better for those who watch it. And as I was thinking about our conversation and some of the things that I have seen take place over the last 10 days or so in Major League Baseball, I thought about this. In the 1990s, we'd never hear an explanation like this one. But at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure that he starts lifting the baseball in order to utilize the power that he does have. That was Oliver Marmol, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, about 10 days ago or so when they sent down their top prospect, Jordan Walker, to AAA. He said, this is why we're sending him down, to work on lifting the baseball. Now, as an aside, I realize and I've read and heard from St. Louis Cardinal fans that are not happy with Ali Marmol. They're not happy with what the Cardinals have been doing in 2023. As a matter of fact, yesterday, for the first time this year, I was able to watch a game from beginning to end uninterrupted, and it was the Cardinals-Tigers game. And after the Cardinals got off to a 3-0 lead, and then blew that lead and were trailing, I think it was 6-3, to three. I'm thinking, this could be it for Ali Marmol. This could be the ninth straight loss for the Cardinals, drop them below 500. things that I think have not happened for decades, if not ever, for the St. Louis Cardinals. But the Cardinals came back and won that game, I think it was 12-6. to six. A huge reason they won was because of first baseman Paul Goldsmith, last year's MVP in the National League. He hit three home runs. 
Kentucky at one to put them up one nothing at the beginning of the game, but three throughout the game. And here's the amazing thing. He did the same thing on all three home runs. His first home run of the game, his second home run of the game, his third home run of the game. I couldn't believe it. He hit the ball, and then he ran around the bases at a good pace, gave some high fives, and sat down in the dugout on all three home runs. Three home runs in one game. Remarkable. But getting back to the issue at hand, the reason given for sending Jordan Walker down, the idea of lifting the baseball, is a comment that would not have been heard in the 1990s and is a comment that many would attribute, or if you will, blame on the nerds. The nerds who many believe are running and ruining the game. That's one example where people might complain. And then there's also this. Pitch. And it kicks away. Frazier will score. A walk-off wild one. Six straight for the Orioles. Three walk-off wins in the last four home games. And Adam Frazier gets dirty at the right time. So what's the problem with a walk-off win? That sounded pretty exciting. Well, here's the situation. And again, this was about a week ago. The Orioles were playing the Tigers in Baltimore. And the Orioles had the winning run. This was a 10-inning game. The winning run on third base. The winning run scored. The Orioles win 2-1. to one. But how that run scored is what is a problem for many people. The run scored on a wild pitch. But that's not even the issue. The issue is that the catcher in that situation set up on one knee and made no attempt to block the pitch at all, tried to pick it. It got by him, and it cost the Tigers the baseball game. And this is not the only time this year it has happened. It's happened, I think, on three occasions. It happened again just a couple of days ago. And something like this is also a problem for many former players and coaches, especially many former catchers. One former player, not a catcher, tweeted out, Welcome to Major League Baseball in 2023. The idea of stealing strikes was brought to Major League teams by the analytics people. The algorithm isn't working. And of course, the issue is, even if you can demonstrate that catching like that does indeed steal some strikes, if you catch like that with two strikes on the batter, or men on base, and really, or in particular, with the winning run on third base, you might steal some strikes, but you're going to lose some games. And they would say, this is also a nerd problem. And then they talk about a particular type of nerd, the nerd of the lawyer variety. And many people are blaming those nerds for the rule changes. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, I don't want to get into details. I don't like it. Uh, It's an adjustment. I will... I'm a professional, I'll figure it out, but uh, yeah, uh, I've been doing something, you know, the same way for 14 years, now we're changing it, so it's an adjustment for me, but I'll get there, uh, I understand it, uh, but I, I can say I don't like it, but uh, I'll get there. Now to be clear, that was Michael Brantley, I'm not saying Michael Brantley's blaming the nerds or the lawyers, he may be, he's simply expressing the fact that he does not like the rule changes, a guy who's spent well over 10 years, I think it's closer to 14 years playing Major League Baseball. But others have a problem with these rule changes, and they are blaming the nerds, in particular the lawyers. 
Now, I liked what Michael Brantley said there. He was expressing the fact that he did not like these rule changes, but that he is a professional, and he's going to adjust. And he most definitely is a professional, in particular, a professional hitter. And that's what good major league hitters, pitchers, whatever the case may be, what they do. They adjust. But I believe he shouldn't have to adjust that these rules shouldn't be in place. I don't like them. But that being said, he is a professional. That's what professionals do. I don't know Michael Brantley. I do know his father, Mickey, who was a very good hitting coach. We worked together with the Mets. I remember going to Mickey's house, and Michael was probably, I don't know, 15 at the time, taking BP in the garage, and (laughs) you could see then this guy was going to be able to hit. So that's another place where there are people upset and say, nerds are ruining the game. After seeing and hearing all this, I woke up on Thursday morning, and I was looking at what took place in the games on Wednesday evening. And as I did so, I caught this low light. How about this play? Getting into the NBA playoffs maybe a little bit. Our T-Mobile coverage cam. How about the spin to yourself? I thought I was seeing things. So you can't understand what was going on there unless you've already seen it. But Wander Franco of the Rays got a ground ball. It was a 6-3 putout. But he didn't field the ground ball and make the throw to first to retire the batter runner. He fielded the ground ball got it in his throwing hand, flipped it, and it looks like he even spun the ball into the air, kind of like pitchers that are just playing catch with themselves and spinning their curveball, flipped the ball up in the air, caught it with his throwing hand, and then threw to first base to get the out. When I watched it, I also thought I was seeing things, or at least I wished I was seeing things. And I think that there are those who are going to make the argument that even something like this, what Wander Franco did is to be blamed on the nerds. So here's the question. Are the nerds to be blamed for all that is wrong in the game today? Another question. Is it the nerds who are claiming that none of these things are wrong at all? Is it the nerds that are claiming that these things aren't ruining the game, but making the game better? In this episode... I'm going to defend the nerds. Before I get into that, I want to make three things very clear. Number one, I do not use that terminology. I have not referred to them as nerds. I'm going to in this episode because it's the word that is used. And and sometimes, a lot of times, it's used pejoratively, but sometimes it's not. I received a text back when I was working in the game from a person who would be in that class of so-called nerds, who referred to them as nerds. So it's not always pejorative. Secondly, technically, I'm not defending nerds in the plural, but one nerd, one that I worked with very closely when I was involved in the game. And I'm assuming he isn't the only one that would fit in this category. But here's the other thing. I don't think he's a nerd. And that's because... A person isn't a nerd simply because they're brilliant or because they graduated from an Ivy League institution or because they work in the data and analytics department of a major league baseball team. So really, I'm going to defend nerds who are not nerds. I'm not going to defend nerds who truly are. I know what you're thinking, and the answer is no. No, I am not running for public office. It sounds like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. 
I hope before this is all said and done that you will recognize that I am not. But let's go back a few years. I was the pitching coach in Brevard County, which is the high, or was at the time, the high A-ball team for, for the Milwaukee Brewers in the Florida State League. I was the pitching coach there in 2012 and 2013. In Instructional League in the fall of 2013, I received a call from my boss, Reed Nichols, who was the player development director at the time, asking if I would consider being an assistant pitching coordinator to my most immediate boss, Rick Tomlin, who was the pitching coordinator. And they ended up, it was a position that they did not have in place. They were considering it. It ended up being that they did establish that position, and I was the man to fill that position. So now I'm working still for Reed Nichols, but directly under Rick Tomlin, and the very job description tells me what my job is. I am to assist the pitching coordinator. So that winter, I believe it was in January, Rick and I, and also Reed Nichols, went up to Milwaukee, and we met to have a presentation about TrackMan. And this was the time frame in which this was becoming significantly prevalent or starting to become so in Major League Baseball. And again, by Major League Baseball, I mean from top to bottom, from the Major Leagues all the way down to uh, the, the spring training complexes and rookie ball. And so we went there to have this presentation. And the young man that was giving this presentation was at the time an intern. He came on as an intern in May of 2013. He got hired, I think, in May or June of 2014 and still works with the Brewers to this day. This was, again, I think, January of 2014. And so as this young man is showing us track man plots, telling us how to understand things, talking about the fact that this is movement that is based upon if there were no gravity, how to read the plots, what is plus, what is minus, what's induced vertical movement, all of those things, he was showing us plots from various pitchers from the Milwaukee Brewers organization. And he began with big leaguers. And I had no familiarity with them. I mean, I knew who they were. I might have seen them pitch on TV, but I did not have them as a pitching coach. But then he got into minor league pitchers. And I had spent two two seasons in high A ball, and a number of good pitchers were on those teams. And so I had those pitchers for a half a season, or a full season, or in some cases, a season plus. And so as he's pulling up these guys that I did know, I knew them personally. I worked with them. I was there for their bullpens. I had conversations with them. I watched them pitch, standing or sitting in the dugout. And as he's talking about these men and he's saying, now these guys are good at this or that. These guys will be successful if they do this or the other thing. I'm thinking to myself, I agree completely. And so I finally stopped and I said, listen, have have you ever seen these guys pitch? And this young man said, no. I was like, that's, that's impressive because my take being around these guys and seeing them pitch, talking with these guys, working with these guys is very much in line with what you have just told me and you came to your position simply looking at this track man plot. Now this guy, again, an intern at the time, then getting hired and still working for the Brewers, is brilliant. He is an MIT graduate and he focused on mathematics and computer science at MIT. He also has a great sense of humor. I think it was Instructional League 2014, so probably soon after he had been hired by the Brewers, he came down from Milwaukee to Arizona to then make a presentation about TrackMan to our pitchers 
that were in instructional league. And so as they're filtering into the room, this young man is getting ready for the presentation. My boss, Rick Tomlin, says to him, yeah, Suter's probably the only guy that's going to understand anything you say. And the young man said, well, why is that? You know, again, he's new to the organization. He doesn't know pretty much anybody. And Rick said, well, because Suter went to Harvard. And this young man responded without missing a beat, yeah, I would have gone to Harvard too if I wanted to get all A's. <laughs> I love that. It was a great line. Now, I will say this. A year, maybe two years later, when David Stearns became the general manager of the Brewers, I didn't hear this young man use that comment. And you may know David Stearns is also a graduate of Harvard. But anyway, very smart, has a great sense of humor. Here's another thing. When he was thinking, thinking through data and analytics kind of stuff, thinking through algorithms, thinking through all, he always thought better, or at least he told me, he would grab a baseball and he would just hold the baseball in his hand, spin it around in his hand, just feel the baseball as he was trying to think through these things. I love that. He also sent me during spring training one year a biomechanics textbook. I read through it, and then he's up in Milwaukee. I'm down in Arizona, Phoenix area. I would send him questions as I read through this, and he would answer my questions. Whenever I had questions about TrackMan, and that in a twofold way, things I did not understand, but also things that I thought, wait a second, we're making connections here that I don't think we ought to make. He would listen to my questions he would answer my questions. He never felt threatened by my questions. I remember one time I was trying to piece together, wait a second. It's saying this guy's release point is here. It's saying this is the, in, the, the movement on his curveball. From that release point and that movement, it would mean this. That doesn't make sense to me. And I remember either calling or texting him and saying, hey, help me out here. And again, he had the humility as a brilliant man who graduated from MIT in math and computer science to say, you know what? That's a physics question, and I don't know if I can answer that well. And he went to the man that at the time, I don't know if he's still with the Brewers, was somebody the Brewers hired who had a PhD in physics. And he got the answer from that man and got it back to me. All of these things I admired. All of these things I thought made this young man very good at what he did. Most of all, however, he was willing to ask the question why, of himself and others, and he was willing to be asked by a guy like me, why? And he didn't feel threatened. He didn't think it was a stupid question. He took it seriously. And because of all of that, this guy helped me tremendously. He helped me to be better equipped to help pitchers and as a pitching coordinator to help the pitching coaches that I had oversight of. Now, he had some background in athletics, even at the collegiate level. He played both basketball and baseball briefly when he was at MIT. And this young man, he's not so much young now, still a lot younger than me, this young man's name is Nick Davis. And he has this also. His father has been involved in professional baseball as a pitching coach for a number of years. And Nick's father, Paul, was friends or is friends with Brent Strom. And Nick had experience with Brent Strom as well. And Brent Strom is a highly respected and very successful pitching coach. So not only is Nick extremely smart, but he has a great understanding of the game and some background. All of that being said, I still was using Nick as an analogy when I was in the game. And at one point in time, I realized, okay, I probably ought to tell Nick that I'm using him as an analogy. 
So in spring training in 2019, when he came down from Milwaukee to the Phoenix area, I said, hey, Nick, I've been using you as I discuss probably mainly with my pitching coaches, maybe even the pitchers to some degree. I've been using you as an analogy. I think it's only fair that I tell you that and tell you how. And so I said, Nick, if I were to ask you this question, how would you respond? I said, Nick, how did it feel that time you failed your math test? And he said, my response would be, what math test are you talking about? I said, exactly. You've never failed a math test. You maybe have never gotten as low as a 95 on a math test. And that's where there's a disconnect between you guys that are extremely brilliant and baseball players. You guys that are extremely brilliant have not failed at what you do best. Almost all guys that play in the major leagues, what they do best is play the game of baseball. And every single one of them, including every single one of them that has a plaque hanging up in Cooperstown, have failed and failed miserably. And that's a disconnect we have to recognize is there. The problem is not with these so-called nerds, And again, I'm distinguishing between those who are so-called and the true nerds. The problem isn't in being brilliant. The problem isn't graduating from an Ivy League school or Berkeley or Stanford or Rice or MIT. The problem is in not recognizing limitations. And one thing that I think all should realize is, is that when they have proficiency on a background in things like math and finances and computers, the danger is that you start viewing players, human beings, even managers for that matter, more like a video game or a stock market commodity rather than a human being, body and soul. Another problem is in thinking that you have all the answers. Those are the true nerds for me. Nick is not that. And, I, and again, I, I would say he's not alone. The true nerds are the ones who think they have all the answers. That older coaches, former players and the like, former GMs, it doesn't matter, have little or nothing of value to bring to the game of baseball in 2023. Those kind of people are the true nerds. But we need to recognize that this is not a problem unique to baseball or unique to those who have graduated from esteemed institutions of higher academia. Nerds do abound in the game and outside it. And some nerds have degrees from these highly acclaimed elite academic institutions. And other nerds haven't graduated high school. Some because they haven't graduated yet. Some because they've never graduated and never will. Nerds in baseball and outside are the people who follow in the footsteps of Rehoboam. Just in the last day or two, I was reading an article by an older gentleman, I think he's in his 90s, named Richard Sandlin. And he was writing about this from a theological or Christian perspective. But he wrote, What I'm speaking of is drawing wisdom from those seasoned saints who have, as they say today, been there, done that. Again, apply this to baseball and those who are truly nerds. And then he goes on, Rehoboam got into big trouble because he forsook the counsel of the old men and consulted with the young men, 
that were grown up with him. He continues, Like many nowadays, he, that's Rehoboam, sought advice from those who had never been down the road he was seeking to travel, thus rejecting the elders' good sense. Those are nerds. People that act like that in the game of baseball are the nerds. Guys like Nick Davis aren't the nerds. Richard Sandlin ends his article by writing, Don't be among those who at the end of their lives regrettably say, Oh, I wish I would have listened. So we can blame things on the nerds if they fail to recognize their limitation and if they fail to recognize the wisdom of those who have been there, done that. But we still have to be careful about blaming the nerds, the true nerds, for the direction of the game and for what's happening in the game unless they're the owner or the general manager or somebody with authority. Because no matter how nerdish they may be, they're not given any authority except by those who have that authority, those who have the ability to potentially handcuff managers, which in turn leads to impacting negatively the players, those who take the field. And of course, managers can only be handcuffed if they allow that to happen. But we live in a day in which the older managers that have been around a long time talk about how difficult it is as a younger manager to, if you will, buck the system. Several years ago, uh, one of the the pitchers with the Brewers, a friend of mine, gave me Terry Francona's book, The Red Sox Years. And it was, again, it was probably at least eight, nine years ago that I read it. And I'm going to tell a story that the story is accurate. I'm not sure that I have the names right, but the point is accurate. I remember reading in the book that at one point in time, Terry Francona, when he's managing the Red Sox, is sitting in his office prior to the game. I don't know if it was prior to BP, between BP and the game, I don't know. And a person or people came down from upstairs, in other words, from the data and analytics department, and reasoned with him why he ought to alter his lineup that night. And again, I'm not 100% sure it's this person. I'm fairly certain it's either Big Poppy or Mike Lowell. I can't remember which. I think it was Big Poppy. And they gave all of their reasons why for that night's game and who was on the mound for the opposition and so on and so forth, a particular hitter, maybe Big Poppy, should be moved from the three slot where he normally hit it down the lineup, let's say fifth or sixth in the lineup. And Terry Francona listened to this and said, you might be absolutely right. It may be that the best thing to do for tonight's game and that which would increase our statistical probability of winning tonight's game would be to move Big Poppy from the three slot to the fifth or sixth slot, whatever it might be. He said, but here's the thing. I need Big Poppy for this whole season, not just tonight. And if I do that tonight, I might lose him for the rest of the season. You see, that's making sure that we understand the game beyond the raw numbers, beyond what the statistics tell us. Now, stay with me, because I'm going to appear to completely change the topic, but I'm not. On Thursday last week, Justin Verlander made his first start of the 2023 season and his first start as a New York Met. And it came in Detroit, the place he played the first 13 years of his career. In that game, he gave up a couple of solo home runs in the first inning and then ended up pitching five innings, giving up only those two runs. But during his start, there was a conversation between Mets broadcasters Gary Cohen and Ron Darling. 
And here's what it sounded like. Justin was paying homage to his manager with the Tigers in his younger days, Jimmy Leland, for pushing him when he was a young pitcher. He said, I never would have accomplished what I have if it hadn't been for Leland allowing me to go out there, pitch through trouble, fail, and learn. He said, it's a shame that younger pitchers don't get that opportunity. There you you go. And that's coming from, that comment is coming from a a current player and contemporary. And pitchers do not uh, get the opportunity to pitch out of trouble. And I agree with him. I think it is undeniable that pitchers do not, as a rule, get an opportunity to pitch out of trouble. I see it happening even in spring training. Is this the fault of the nerds? Yes. If by nerds we mean those who are truly nerds, those who think they have all the answers, and those who have the authority to implement such things, to keep pitchers from having the opportunity to work through and sometimes fail. Now, interestingly, this morning, where I am in my Bible reading, I was reading from the book of Job. And I came across this in Job chapter 8. Please inquire of past generations, and consider the things searched out by their fathers. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days are like a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you, and bring forth words from their minds? Now, Bildad said that, and much of what Bildad said was wrong, but that is not. And I agree with Ron Darling. That is, again, the color commentator for the New York Mets. Ron Darling, who played about 13 years in Major League Baseball and has spent many, many years in the broadcast booth. He's been around the game for a very long time. Ron Darling, who was drafted in the first round by the Texas Rangers back in June of 1981. Ron Darling, who was drafted in June of 1981, only six months before he was set to graduate from Yale. Now, it's not just Justin Verlander. I remember watching something with Jack Morris in which he said when he was a young pitcher, he had a tendency when things got kind of hairy to look into the dugout. Now, remember, this is Jack Morris who's in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, Justin Verlander is on his way there. This is Jack Morris who became known as one of the best big game pitchers ever. And he said early in his career when he was young, he would have a tendency to look into the dugout when things weren't going well. And that Sparky Anderson, the manager at the time, would yell out at yell out at him, "Don't be looking in here at me. I'm not coming to get you. You better figure it out." You see, if Jim Leland didn't do that kind of thing with Justin Verlander, there's a likelihood, a good likelihood, he's not on his way to the Hall of Fame. If Sparky Anderson didn't do that with Jack Morris, there's a likelihood, a good likelihood that he is not known as one of the best big game pitchers ever, and that he's not in the Hall of Fame. My final year with the Brewers, Steve Carsey came into the organization as the big league pitching coach. I'm sorry, bullpen coach. Chris Hook was the pitching coach, still is. So he comes in, and I'm talking with him, and when he was young, he played for the Oakland A's and Tony La Russa. And he said, La Russa always told his starting pitchers, the first time you're in a jam, I'm going to let you work through it. The second time, I'm probably going to come and get you. But again, whether it's Jim Leland, Sparky Anderson, Tony La Russa, three of the best managers ever, they all understood something. And so pitchers 
like Steve Carsey, who's not a Hall of Famer, but then you got guys like Jack Morris, Justin Verlander, and we could name a whole bunch more who are Hall of Famers that in large part became those kind of pitchers because of managers willing to do the things that Larusa, Sparky, and Jim Leland were willing to do. Developing pitchers is hampered by the approach of get him out of there before he can fail or get him out of there because there's a highly a higher likelihood of success by this reliever coming in. And developing the game itself is harm. When we, and, and I better not say we, when those who run the game do so primarily with their eyes on what a ju- younger generation wants or finds entertaining, when people refuse to inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers in the game, but especially when people refuse to acknowledge the Lord while running the game in a way that is in many ways antithetical to his word. Those kind of people are truly the nerds, and I will not and I cannot give a defense for them. But I do for those who are classified as nerds but don't fit into that category. Now, in the providence of God, not only was my morning reading in the book of Job, but I'm going to be leading a Bible study later this afternoon on the book of Job. So you hear at the beginning of each episode that it's sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. Well, we do a number of things, but one of the things we've been doing for a little over three years now is a Monday afternoon Bible study on Zoom. We have people around the country. We have people from Australia. One time we had a guy that was playing in Germany on the study. And we have been working over the last several weeks through the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the like, doing an overview of the particular book of the Bible and then a more in-depth study of a passage. Later today, we're going to be studying Job which is wisdom literature. Some would say the book is a wisdom debate. And so as I was reading it, as I was studying it for later today, I was looking to all the things that could be gleaned from the book of Job. And there are a lot of them. But one of them is this, that wisdom is ultimately in God alone, and that the Lord is the source of all wisdom. So we need to keep that in mind as the debates continue to rage, as if or as about whether Major League Baseball is being ruined by nerds. And we might want to consider a couple of things. One I've already mentioned. Those who are truly nerds aren't only bad for baseball, but in every sphere of life. And secondly, that many in baseball and other spheres are looking for answers in all the wrong places. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.